Well, hello, Toowoomba. Welcome to episode 48. This week, we're chatting with the delightful Kate Venables from Catholic Care. We also catch up with the Mayor, Paul Antonio. We are proudly brought to you by our good friends at Recognition Plus. Put your name where it counts. From promo gear and trophies to name badges, they will help you be seen. Kate is a tireless worker in our community. She and her team work hard to provide a variety of services to our wider community. I hope you enjoy our chat. Well, I'm now going to be chatting with Kate Venables from the Catholic Care Centre here in Toowoomba about what they do and what they have to offer the Toowoomba community. Good morning, Kate. Hi, Shane. Lovely to be here. Okay, so you're with the Catholic Care Centre here in Toowoomba. Tell us when, where and how this all began. Well, it's actually a great story, Shane. Um, We began in 1983 and it was with someone who had been doing a little bit of counselling in another organisation and they were doing a little bit of counselling in their lunch hour. And so um, it was particularly really for couples who were struggling and wanting some marriage support. Uh, And that was 1983, so almost 40 years ago. And so she was giving up her lunch hours very generously, a beautiful lady called Therese O'Brien. Therese eventually moved into a full-time role and, in fact, eventually became the executive director of the organisation. So it's lovely to see all that hard effort rewarded. But from small things, big things grow. And by the early 1990s, we had a large counselling program and some mediation work happening, as well as some Indigenous services and and some refugee work had just begun. Now, how is all this funded? That is a great question. Initially, right in the beginning stages, lots of it was really volunteer work. The Catholic Church uh, committed some funds as well in the early stages, but as with many not-for-profit organisations, it really grew out of that volunteer base. And as funding became available in the 1980s, government, interestingly enough, came to organisations and said, hey, we know you're delivering this service would you like to do it under this funding? Now, obviously, we're much more formal now in the way that happens. But in the initial stages, it was very much about government coming to us and asking. And so we are almost fully government funded now. We get federal funding and state funding for a wide variety of our programs. Uh, And we still have, though, an, an amazing volunteer base. Now, you cover a fairly large area, I believe. You cover, what, southwestern Queensland? We certainly do. The um, the area that we cover aligns with the diocese, which is the, the church word for the region. And so we go from Toowoomba right out to the southwest. So we actually cover 456,000 square kilometres. Honestly, I can't even get my head around it, Shane. I could just tell you it's a lot of driving if you're going to drive at all. <sighs> Sooner you than me. Okay. Um <laughs> Now, who do you work with besides, you know, I'm assuming you work with families or what, what are the areas that you uh, get involved in? Sure. So we do lots of work with families. We do counselling work with them. So we do it sometimes for individuals, with couples, with families, with children on their own as well. We then also do mediation work. So we work particularly with families who are trying to separate and separate well. I guess we, we work with them in the, in the hope in terms of counselling that we might enable them to stay together. But when they can't, and, and sadly that happens, um, we want them to separate really well and particularly making sure the kids are at the heart and core of that best separation. So we do mediation in that process with families. We have a large migrant refugee program called TRAMS, which I'm sure lots of the listeners will know which does beautiful work supporting all the incoming communities that we have. And we have a fantastic First Nations People program where we work with young people and uh, people who are in the justice system. 
And our sort of newest arm that we do a whole lot of work with with local businesses because we really know that local businesses, particularly in the Toowoomba community, are passionate about their staff and passionate about wanting to ensure their staff can operate at their best. And sometimes that actually means that we want to put some support, some counselling support in place, and that's what we can do as well under our EAP program. Now, how do people access your services? Can they just come and knock on your door or is there a process involved? Uh, look, we, we love it when they knock on our door. People can give us a call on our 1300 number. They can literally drop in as they're walking past. We have a, a beautiful centre right in the heart of town and so there's a coffee shop just across the way if, uh, if you're needing some sustenance. You can make an appointment. Uh, you can jump online and find out a lot of information about us as well. People can self-refer. Uh, they sometimes come in via their GP in terms of the GP knowing that they need some particular support services. Sometimes they come in through other government agencies. But at the end of the day, no matter where they come from, our desire is to really work with them and, and enable them to be supported in their journey. Now, I recently heard you speak at a Toowoomba Chamber of Commerce event and that was part of the reason why we wanted to get you on the podcast. I'm going to ask you a question. I think I know the answer, but I, I want our listeners to hear you if they haven't already worked out for themselves. What's the best part about what you do? Do you know, Shane, I am in such a privileged role. I get to work with people every day who are passionate about making a difference in someone's life, passionate about making a difference when people are vulnerable and really looking for support. And my job is super easy. I just get to kind of, you know, move a few pieces around so that the best people get the support that they need. I have counsellors who are passionate about making a difference in grief and in loss, in separation, uh, and really looking to help people in those struggles. I have mediators who are, work with the most complicated and complex families and have extraordinary outcomes. In terms of refugee and migrant settlement, my team are extraordinary. They are passionate about enabling people to call Toowoomba home in the most beautiful way and knowing the community that's listening uh, and our wider community that they are being welcomed in that space. And finally, who wouldn't want to work with some amazing First Nations people? I have the coolest staff who do amazing things. And of course, one of the things they did was play the didge at the event and it was great fun. It was indeed. That was that was quite quite it actually gave me goosebumps. Oh. It always does. I love I love the didgeridoo. Yeah. Now we we've sort of touched on things in general. I'm gonna put you to the test here today. All right, let's see how we go. Let's see how we go. I'm gonna pluck out some subjects. Okay. And we'll just we'll just touch on them because I'm thinking we'll we will have a few chats on the podcast and talk about a few things in, in general. But there was one that you, you've mentioned previously which springs to my mind, and that is grief counselling. Mm. And that could be quite interesting for me at the moment. So tell me a little bit about what your grief counselling does and is involved. Sure. You know, Shane, sometimes I think people come and they'll have a particular issue that they are working with, and it might be potentially a sense of grief as relationship breaks down, or it might be grief um, as they are saying goodbye to someone who, who may be dying. Uh, it may be grief as they are coming to terms with an empty nest. Uh, it may be grief as they have, have lost a job or they're looking for something new uh, or loss of relationship. I guess the reality of what our counsellors try and do in the first instance is normalise it because 
I don't know that we're particularly good at talking about grief in Australia. Um, I was lucky enough to spend a number of years working in Papua New Guinea and Melanesians are very good at grieving. They're very loud. They're very out there and they are very good at grieving and it is really acceptable and part of community knows when someone is grieving that they can get around them. I suspect we have a bit of that stiff upper lip going on in our space and we don't necessarily want to show grief and and so that we don't necessarily have community know and our friends know sometimes about that. So I am sure there are instances where our counsellors talk to folk about grief who never talk to anybody else about it. So sometimes it's about normalising that and saying, this is a really healthy and good thing that you are doing talking about that. We know because there's amazing research and my counsellors are much better at this than I am, but we know that there's great research about the grief journey and that there's probably not many shortcuts you can take, that you really have to go through a grief process. And part of that is about denial often, part of it is about acceptance and anger and all those things. Some folk seem to do it pretty well and others really struggle. And again, I think when we don't necessarily talk about it broadly in community, it's it's not stuff that we have strategies to, to deal with. So my guys will take time to work with individuals or couples or even families in that space. And And for some, it might be a couple of sessions and for others, it might be significantly longer. We want to make sure we give people the best support and hopefully along the way, give them strategies so that when grief comes again, or there are other situations that they've actually learnt some really good coping mechanisms and know potentially how to do some of that journeying themselves. Now, another subject I've got for you, which I think is one that we tend to overlook all too often, and that is that word depression. Mm. Now, depression can obviously come about through grief, obviously, or through a a tragic event or something, but depression also is part of someone's life, even when things are, shall we say, going reasonably well. Sure. Depression is such a huge thing, and I I know a lot of us don't like to talk about it, myself included. So do you have support for people with depression? And have you got perhaps a couple of little teasers that we can talk about here that we might delve into a bit deeper later on. Sure, absolutely. I think oftentimes in in our community, people go to their GP when they understand that they are struggling with depression and, um, and oftentimes and rightly so um, appropriate medication is prescribed because when it's a chemical imbalance, uh, all the talking in the world isn't necessarily going to flip that. And so, so medication is a really important part of that. Oftentimes, GPs will also, um, in fact, I suspect almost always, provide a mental health care plan. The good thing about Catholic Care, Shane, is you actually don't need to have a mental health care plan to come in and have and set some sessions up with a counsellor. So our counsellors certainly work with people who are on medication and who see their GP and touch base with their GP and also come in for sessions that enable them to start developing coping mechanisms for their depression. You know, we have a, a really strong recovery theory and process that we work with in depression because we don't think it's um, a disability that you are stuck with forever but it is a a time and a place and that ideally many, many people recover from that. So we we do all sorts of interesting things and, you know, there are always new resources being bought uh, because counsellors will say, Kate, I've seen this and and can we get that? And we've got got rooms set up to be really safe and feel reassuring. We've got different lights that happen and a wide variety of things that happen. 
we don't work with people who are obviously highly medicated and super depressed because that's not our space. We're really, we're really the midterm space and we are very happy to refer when we know someone requires more supports and we work really well with the mental health unit at hospital and we do lots of work and, and referring backwards and forwards in that space. And, and likewise, we talk to GPs, obviously with client permission, patient permission, because we want to make sure that everyone's talking together. Because often what we know is folk with depression who are disconnected from community, it is much harder for them to cope. The other thing we also do is work with families because obviously there's an impact on families when an individual is suffering from depression. And and we often will work with the families to give them strategies to know how and when to support that person so that, again, everyone's on the same page and telling the same story. Yeah, and I sort of think given what the last 12, 18 months we've, we've all been through, most of us has probably managed to cope reasonably well, but I'm sure there's people out there still still struggling a bit and it's good to know that they can come get some get some support. And even if it's a case of, as you said, you steer them in the right direction back to their GP to get even more help. Now there's one of your programs that I've heard about that I thought we just I just had to ask I just want to touch on a bit is What Up Youth Program. Ah. Tell me about the What Up you know, Shane, you're not supposed to have favourites, obviously, in your children and indeed even in your programs. But What Up is a little bit of a fave. So What Up is a youth group for First Nations kids uh, who are aged between 8 and 14 or 15. It started more than 15 years ago now. And the great story is that we had uh, a worker who was going along to the Y uh, where they had a youth group going on. And lots of Indigenous kids started to turn up. This, this was a uh, young Indigenous worker. And a number of Indigenous kids were turning up. In fact, there were more than, you know, other kids. And so our worker sort of came back and said, hey, you know, what are you doing on a Friday night? Can we do something? And so uh, Santa Care, as it was then, Catholic Care now, said, well, let's just give it a whirl. Let's see how many kids come along. And and what started with about 25 kids eventually grew to about 120 kids. And so they would come, it would start, it was an evening program, it would start about 5.30 and finish up by about 7.30. And we fed them and they did lots of exercise and activity. And there are lots of young people who have shared stories about the positive impact What Up had so that when they were struggling in depression or other situations that they were struggling with in life, they were actually able to reflect back on some of their positive What Up experiences and find a moment of hope in some really tricky and scary stuff for them. So for me, it's just such a lovely little light. And right now, it actually operates in the afternoon. It sort of has had different, it's waxed and waned over the years and we've had funding and not had funding and we've just kept it going. We've kept it going going in part because we have the most extraordinarily generous volunteers uh, who are all First Nations people who volunteer every Friday afternoon their time and their effort to come along and engage with these young kids. And so now we're sort of focusing predominantly on upper primary kids. Starts at 3.30, there's a bus that scoots around the schools and collects the kids and they come back to Catholic care. They have a big feed. I was actually listening out my window last Friday as they were um, hurling balls at each other as one does after school on a Friday and, and then they were getting into the food and they did some fantastic cultural activities. What Up's focus at the end of the day is to really engage these young people and provide them with some really great sense of positivity uh, in a space where sometimes life is tricky. Some of those kids come out of really tricky families and we want to say to them, we believe in you and we believe you've got the capacity to do great things in life. Now, there's all sorts of topics that we could talk about here, but 
time is getting away from us today at least anyway so we'll catch up again in the future but if people want to find or make contact with you what are some phone numbers on your website? Uh, so our website is a nice, easy one. It's www.catholiccareservices. If they want to give us a call, it's one 477 433 All of that is really easy. If you just have to Google Catholic Care and we pop up and, um, and give us a call, we've always got people who are answering the phone and ready to work out what is the best way we can support you. And if we can't, if we don't have the right service, then we're going to try really hard to make sure we can get you connected to the right service. That's what I like. You either help them directly or you put them in the right exactly. contact with someone else. That's right. Mm-hmm. Kate, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been great having you on and look forward to a chat again in the future. Shane, thank you so much. We are really excited to be part of this great community and, um, and look forward to finding out ways that we can help more of community. Well, the new month starts this week and it's June already. And as is customary now, we say hello again to Mayor Paul Antonio. Good morning, Paul. It's great to see you again. And, of course, June uh, brings on cool weather. We look forward to it all. It's certainly going to be uh, a nice winter, I think, for those in the rural sector, uh, given the moisture that's available to plant, all that sort of thing. It's a great start to the season. And uh, now's the time for those people to get heavily involved in what they're doing. So let's start this week with, with a community feedback. Now, the council's released some surveys, Paul. Yes, we have. And we want to know how, how people feel about the facilities that we're providing across many areas of the Toowoomba region. This survey does not include Toowoomba and Crow's Nest. That work has already been done. We're interested in, in what people feel about the types of buildings uh, when we talk about community halls, cultural centres, indoor sports centres, libraries, art galleries uh, that are used and leased by many of the community groups. The community feedback is meant to help us understand how and when and why we should use these facilities uh, for the community. That survey is uh, available on our website, but importantly, we'd like those answers back by Friday the 18th of June at 8pm. Now, we'll put the links to those survey in our show notes and episode page for everybody to get onto. Now, our next topic interests me. Here on the podcast, we're all about being local. What is live and local all about, Paul? Well, look, the region's best and brightest musicians, they'll find themselves centre stage when live and local kicks off in Toowoomba, and that will deliver a boost, a much-needed boost, might I add, to the local music industry. We know what they've been through through COVID. It's been a tough time for everyone, but it's been a particularly tough time for the entertainment sector. Now, the live and local strategic initiative will bring together musicians from right across our region. They'll come to a series of workshops and performances, and it will end at the end of 2021. There are more than 50 live music venues across our region that showcase a diverse range of emerging, established, and touring artists. So we're very, very keen to see this develop. It will be a real opportunity for those who need a, a leg up now, following on from last year, we've all held our breath as just to see how this year would pan out. But I believe there's some good news on the local unemployment front. Well, some people see it as very good news, and I'm one of those people because uh, people have got jobs. And those who are seeking employees are saying that the market is tighter for them to get new employees into the job. The point you made was a great point because we had a crisis with youth unemployment 
it was running at about 27%. It's been reduced dramatically. But the Toowoomba Statistical Area's March unemployment rate was 5%, and that was the lowest of the 19 areas right across Queensland. It's something to be quite proud of. Of course, as I mentioned before, we had a quite a crisis with youth unemployment, and uh, it was uh, decreased by something like 8.5%, and it's now down to 13%. Now, the September peak in this area was a, an alarming 27.2%. So we're very pleased uh, that we've got to where we've got to. We're very thankful to the entrepreneurial people in this region who are, in fact, providing jobs for the young people and for anyone, in fact, who needs a job. Okay, so now to wrap up, the South Street-Burton Street intersection upgrade has been completed, and but I also believe we might have some bad news about Winter Wonderland 2021. Yes, Winter Wonderland is going to be difficult, but let's go to South and Burton Street. That was a $600,000 safety upgrade. And, of course, we monitor all the things that need doing. And the South and Burton Street in Harristown needed to be done. It's now complete. Uh, the intersection will be safer for all users, and, and including motorists, pedestrians, students, parents and staff from the Harristown State Primary School, Harristown State High School and the Concordia Lutheran College. It's quite a busy little area there, and it absolutely needs this doing to it. The motorists can now make a safe right turn from Burton Street into South Street, and I think that's important. The project was delivered under Council's Pandemic Response Investment Program. You well recall that we put aside $50 million to make absolutely sure that we were able to do some, some work under that scheme. And that was council money, uh, but it was substantially funded through the Queensland Government School Transport Infrastructure Program. As far as the winter wonderland is concerned, no, it's not on this year in this region. It's one of our favourite events, but unfortunately it's expected to return uh, maybe next year. And I don't think the suppliers have fully recovered from the terrible impact once again of COVID-19. So we'll be talking to them in the hope that uh, we can get it back in 22. But uh, hopefully the suppliers may have returned to normal by then. Again, thanks, Paul, for your time and look forward to hearing from you again next month. Righto. Well, we've set this date and we'll be back again in uh, 30 days' time. Thanks very much for your time. What's on in Toowoomba this week? Saturday, the 5th of June, if you're into cycling, then this might be for you. The Brisbane Valley Rail Trail Festival of Cycling. Choose from three different course lengths. See more information at the Council Events page or Bicycle Queensland's website. Or if you're into model trains and radio-controlled cars and more your style, the Toowoomba Model Trains and Hobbies Expo is on again at the Toowoomba Showgrounds 9 till 5 on Saturday and 9 till 4 on Sunday. See Council Events page or their Facebook event for details. Also on Saturday, the Toowoomba Farmers Markets are on from 7am under the windmill at Cobb Co Museum. Sunday the 6th of June, the Toowoomba PCYC Markets at the PCYC Toowoomba from 6am. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks again to our local supporters, Recognition Plus. Find them at recognitionplus.com.au for all your promotional needs. If you have an event or business you would like us to feature in the podcast, email us info at sjamedia.com.au. Please tell your friends about us and help us out by subscribing and listening to the podcast. It's free. See you around, Toowoomba.